I was thinking as a kind of tribute to the late great Lee Perry, I should maybe try to put together some kind of dub version of the theme tune. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> I ran out of time, so here's the usual rubbish instead. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of It's Lit But Is It Funny, the podcast where we open the hen house of comedy and let the inhabitants run amok in the living room of literature. My name is Jonathan Pinnock and I'm the author of the Mathematical Mystery series of comic thrillers published by Farago Books, one of which, pertinently, was described by an Amazon reviewer as a romp worthy of P.G. Woodhouse. So thank you, a reader, whoever you are. My guest today is the comedian and fellow Farago author Ian Moore, whose book Death and Croissants has just been published to great acclaim. Welcome, Ian. Hello. Nice to be here. Yeah, nice, nice to have you. We'll talk more later about Ian and his work, but we will begin by looking at the book that he's chosen to discuss, which is P.G. Woodhouse's last Jeeves and Worcester novel, Aunts Aren't Gentlemen, also known in the US as The Catnappers published in 1974. I'm actually quite surprised that we've reached episode 15 without having encountered Woodhouse yet. Now, there are over 90 books of his to choose from, so what was your rationale in coming up with this one? Mainly, I only, I've only i only really read Jeeves and Worcester stories from, from mm. Woodhouse, and I, the reason why I chose the last one is that because it's nearly... It's over 60 years since the first short story was written involving these characters, although Worcester had a different name in the very first short story. It still keeps it so remarkably fresh and the, and the humour and the, the craft that has gone into the writing is still so wonderful, even that much later. And even though Woodhouse is over 90 years old, that it seems that this one is almost forgotten as part of the canon, really. It was never involved in any of the TV series that were done. So no. it just seemed like a good one to choose, really. Hmm. I mean, are you a lifelong Woodhouse fan or a recent convert? I, it comes, I came in to Woodhouse through the television series, through the, hmm. the Fry and Laurie television series in the early 90s, and then started reading the Jews and Worcester stories after that. And since then... It's always be. I always keep a copy of the Code of the Worcesters by the bed, yes. um, because it's just it's just there. It's like a, it's like an aspirin if you if you've got a headache <laughs> or something that you can just dip into it and and you feel lighter for doing so. Not that they're so light that, that you know that that they're necessarily insignificant, but just that they're, they're so well crafted. They're so well written. The prose is so beautifully put together that it doesn't feel like a, a hard read, even though you, as, a, as a writer yourself, you can really appreciate what's gone into creating it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I read somewhere that, particularly with The Code of the Worcesters, it took him nearly a year to actually sort out the plot. Well, the, I, I was reading that he, he would have a number of books on the go at once and sometimes take up to two years sorting out the plot and sometimes as much as 400 pages of just sorting mm. out the plot and then go back and add bits before writing it 
and with Ants Aunt Gentleman, uh, he he wrote the plot and wrote a, basically a, a, a prose version, and then went back. I say prose, but obviously prose, but went back and then put the humour and the jokes and the style into that story, which is an incredible way of doing it. So it's, I'm not comparing myself in any way, but when I first started doing stand-up, I would write almost like an essay and then go back and put jokes into, into that kind of stand-up. So right. it was really interesting yeah. to learn that that's how he did it. Mm. That's interesting. I think, I mean, for me, the Code of the Worcesters or, or Joy in the Morning are the, the two favourite ones of mine. Yeah. And he wrote Joy in the Morning when he was during the war, when he was under German yeah, was... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I congratulate myself for getting half a chapter written on a busy train, but that, that, that's, that's an incredible duty to his, to his craft to be able to do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we should have some sort of quick summary of the plot. Yes, I okay. forget that. Yeah. yeah, okay. It's uh, Bertie Worcester is in London and he uh, goes to see a doctor about some pink spots he has on his chest. The doctor says, Well, you know, you're a, even though literally he must be about 90 years old himself by now, um, you are, you're a man about town, you drink too heavily, you stay up too late, you're frivolous, you need some good, strong country air. So Worcester takes his man Jeeves down to the country where Aunt Dahlia is also staying, she being the good aunt, not the one who eats broken bottles, which is Aunt Agatha, <laughs> and, and gets a cottage near Aunt Dahlia. And there's a mix-up between the two major country houses in the area, and Bertie ends up with the wrong one to start with, which is the home of a rival horse owner to the horse owner that Aunt Daly is staying with, uh, creating a bit of a ruckus by being seen with the horse's lucky cat. Apparently the horse can't run without the lucky cat, and therefore his Aunt Dahlia's rival thinks that Worcester is after nobbling his horse, and from there... There's other things involved. Usually with Bertie, he's put upon and circumstances are way out of his control insofar as he um, meets a couple, Orlo Porter and Vanessa Cook. He was once engaged to... Oh, he, no, he asked Vanessa Cook to marry him. She turned him down flatly. Orlo Porter thinks Jeeves is uh, thinks that Bertie's after Vanessa Cook, uh, which he hasn't got any intention of being whatsoever. And various adventures and uh, misconceptions accrue out of that, and it's all done at such a, at such an incredible pace. Mm. While nothing is always when sometimes there's actually nothing happening, but it still feels like you're <laughs> careering along at an incredible yeah. pace, even though Bertie hasn't got out of his chair for half an hour. It's it's <laughs> it's it's just such a, a beautifully written book. It really is. Mm. I mean the. the they're probably, I guess, slightly few of the, of the great sort of one-liners in this. But there's, but when they do come, they're fantastic. Oh, they're, they're just they're, they're, some of the metaphors are just uh, are just beautiful. I've got I've got one here. Hmm. She uttered a sound rather yes, like an elephant exactly taking what I its foot out of a mud hole in a Burmese teak forest. It's just sorry. it's. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I, I interrupted you there because it, it was the exact one. That right. I myself, but. Okay. <laughs> and but there's another one as well that. He said that must have made Miss Cook as sore as a sunburnt neck. That is so. That is such hot imagery. Is that because yeah. you yeah. know how sore that is? It's there. Are, I think you're probably right. It's not as gag per minute as some of the early ones, but yeah. like you say, when they do come along, they're they're just 
they're just beautiful. There's a there's a there's a slight difference as well in in so far as towards you get towards the end of the book. There's a the kind of almost self reflection from mm. Bertie, almost like the Woodhouse knew that this was going to be the last one. He wasn't going to be writing anymore, and uh, and it's there's a good bit of pathos there because I've always. I've always had a soft spot for Bertie. I don't like Bertie Wooster being described as this, as an idiot, which is how you see mm. him described a lot of the time. I don't see him as that. I see him as a, as a kind-hearted, like I say, victim of circumstances. And, yeah. and his affability gets him into trouble rather than being, rather than being an idiot. So I've, I've always had a soft spot. I've had a soft spot for Jeeves as well. He, you know, you kind of mm. like them as two, uh, as two, you'd like to think that you, they are two halves of your own personality in a way. That you, <laughs> On, on the one hand, you are affable and willing to do anything for anybody, but on the other hand, you are you are cold and see the logic of the situation and can get yourself mm. out of it. So it's yeah. uh, no, I love them as characters. Mm. There, there's an element of Paddington Bear about Jesus, uh, about Worcester, isn't there? Yes, I think there is. I think there there is that. So the, well, fact, well meaning, but causing trouble. Almost has, almost has that personality of both, if you see what I mean. And that yes, he yeah. also can get himself out of scrapes after getting himself into them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I see that very much. So, I, I just, I just kind of, it kind of jars with me a little bit when people just dismiss him as, uh, as, as an airhead. I know he's the idol, rich, and I know in any, if it hadn't been so beautifully written and so mm. wonderfully constructed my old my born working class i'd rail against that kind of thing how dare they even exist but that it's still the, a world that i want to go into to see what he's up to yeah that is the weird thing isn't it yeah that's i mean i, I must admit I, I i i i didn't come to to, to woodhouse till quite late in life because i sort of thought i mean i i, I suppose i grew up watching the i sort of, i mean i'm slightly older than you so it was ian carmichael and Dennis, 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 Price. Dennis yeah. Price, yeah, yeah, that I used to. And watch. I've watched some of those on on YouTube, and they are, they are. I think maybe maybe this was the success for me of the of the Fry and Laurie version in that it didn't portray Bertie as an idiot. I think that I think the mm. Carmichael version, yeah, and also the very early David Niven, Arthur Treacher version, and the radio versions with Richard Bryce and Michael Horden, Bertie was a bit an idiot and, and treated like such. That's how he's portrayed. Whereas Hugh Laurie portrayed him with a lot more sympathy. You could you could get behind him rather than just saying, well, when's Jeeves going to turn up and rescue him? So it's uh, so maybe that was why I then went to the books with a lot more sympathy for Worcester than I might have done. Mm. Yeah, okay. The um the seventies background is slightly weird at times. They sort of it it jars a little at the beginning when the, when he gets caught in a protest march. When he's yeah, driving yeah. to the doctors, isn't it? The, it's almost he it, it, it hasn't quite blocked out the world that he actually he is living in, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's um, and there's also the um, the poacher who's called Billy Graham, yes. and and the, <laughs> the, which which is you know that's not even there's not even an attempt to hide that is there at all? It's, no. it's, it's of course it's Billy Graham the preacher. And and it's yes, I see what you mean. I see that those things come in, and I don't know. It only happens two or three times, but then you yeah. kind of you look at other things that crop up, and and, and I went to start like Nero Wolf comes up towards the end of the book, and I thought, well, is that another anachronism? I had to look up Nero Wolf, but it's kind of slightly after it would normally be set, the twenties to thirties, mm. but. 
but yeah, I, I see what you mean. But it's because I don't know. I kind of have such love for the for the whole world that the Woodhouse created. That I kind of forgive him those things when he was in his <laughs> ninety years old. Because and 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 I'm reading about just how prolific he was. That he would always write between four and seven in the evening and do two thousand to three thousand words. Which Ooh, you know, and when he was that's... older in his nineties, he would get away with a thousand. When I I did a thousand this morning, I felt very pleased with myself. I, I feel yeah. pleased with myself when I do a thousand. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's nanorama it, stuff, isn't it? <laughs> I, I know it. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah. It's no, it's an incredible level of proficiency. And and, and we're just talking about Worcester there. I mean, there's all the radio plays, the musicals. I didn't realize that he was heavily involved in the musical scene and that he wrote lyrics for Jerome Kern. You know, I mean, what, what the, yeah. he was involved in so many things. In the, in the late 20s especially, and he's given quite a lot of attributes about changing the American musical with Jerome Kern, and I can't remember the, his other partner at the time, but they changed the, the way musicals were, were performed and the way that songs would come into a musical, mm. which I never even knew about, you know. No, no that's, I, I never knew that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, and all the, you know, he, he, all the articles that he wrote, all the short stories that he wrote, the different characters, the Blandings, the Smiths, the, mm. it, you know, just so, I mean, like we were saying, you know, he was still writing while he was interned by the Germans, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> and he, was, he was sharing a one man cell with three other people and he didn't even get the bed because he wasn't the oldest. So, <laughs> and, and continuing to write. <laughs> Right under those circumstances, is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, the the cat, I'm I'm slightly bothered by the cat. Right. <laughs> so it sounds like I'm, I'm spending all my time knocking it, but I, I'm just I just wonder if 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 uh, if, if, if Woodhouse was, was was really a cat person. I, I doubt if he was really, because uh, no, I don't I don't. The thing about no, because the. And it's all a little bit unresolved that the cat actually belongs to an aunt of Jeeves, who we never meet in the story uh, anyway. Um, but it, initially, the, the whole thing about the cat was not for, it wasn't for aunt's aunt gentleman. It, it, was, it, it was for a different, it, it was a different story. Else, yeah. yeah. So I think he sort of took a strand that it wasn't used for and built a whole book around it. And yes, mm. it's, uh, you know, it's thin. Because <laughs> it, it, it's sort of treated it's, as if it's a bit inanimate, and yeah, <laughs> and it, 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 it's hard because you think there are so many opportunities for, um, for 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 things to go wrong when you're when you're manhandling a cat because yes. they, they don't stay still. <laughs> no, they don't. And uh, but then uh, I guess that shows just how kind kind hearted uh, Worcester is that a cat would even a cat would immediately take to the man. I mean, I've yes. got we've got. <laughs> We've got three cats, and yeah. one of them we've had for ten years, and she still can't stand the sight of me. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I know that well. <laughs> so, so it just shows what you know what a gentle soul he really was. That the cat yeah. would take to him so quickly. No, I mean we have cats who, who that, that they basically all of humanity that they despise. They will make a beeline for if there's anyone who has a cat allergy, they will. I make an absolute beeline for them. Absolutely. Absolutely, they, they, yeah. it's like a sixth sense that they have to go yeah. with people that they know they make nervous. Yeah. <laughs> like drunks on a train with me. It's, 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 a, it's, a very, it's a very similar thing. Yeah, yeah, but the, 
thing is, when the MacGuffin is uh, inanimate, yeah, uh, part of the fun comes out of it turning up in lots of different unexpected places, despite yeah. it yeah. being inanimate, isn't it? I mean, that's with, yeah. with the cat, the cow creamer, and the the policeman's helmet. In, that's right. Yeah. 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 And, um, and I, so cat, I, see, got... I see what you mean. I, I just I think that because cats are as they are, you, you can almost forgive the you can almost forgive the fact that he turns up in places that he shouldn't do because that's what yeah. cats generally do yeah, anyway. Right. So there's, there's that side to it. But it's quite interesting also with with a couple of the characters that they are basically exactly the same kind of characters that he's had before and in terms of Orlo Porter is um, Stilton Cheeseright and Vanessa Cook is Florence Cray and he's going through the same situation in that kind of menage a trois that he went through in, in with Jesus and the feudal spirit and even then you can I can you can forgive it because he's still it's still people threatening to rip his head off and pull his insides yes. out <laughs> on very little pretext <laughs> you, just, yeah. you, just, you just kind of feel sorry for him really yeah There's, I read somewhere as well that that some that, that because it's slight because the cat is slightly you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fortuitous in the way it turns up in all these places and, and basically solves and, and keeps the mystery together, is that people have speculated that the, the Jeeves put the cat there in the first place, that he never had an aunt in, uh, in the village and that oh, Jeeves was behind the whole place just so they could go back to New York. I don't know if that's true. I don't, I don't, the, 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 the idea being that in his 90s, Woodhouse had decided to make his, his readers work a little bit harder. And I, I, just, I just don't see that. I just don't see that. That's, that's like when you did Shakespeare at school and you'd read like 10 different things into one line. And you think, well, no, nobody has the time to write a line that has 12 different meanings every single line. You know, it's it's not it's, it's speculation, but I don't see it as that. I just think it's it's a piece of uh, a light literature that is comedically brilliant, and uh, there's not that much you can read into this one. Yeah, I thought, I'm gonna have to go back and reread it now. That's a, <laughs> that's a fascinating idea. <laughs> I just I think I think some people spend you know I think that was a literary critic or um, a literature professor who did that. And so, you know, to be perfectly honest, some people just have to justify their own existence well, yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't see it as that. That's, you know, no, I, didn't, I don't, like I said at the top, I don't, I don't think this is the best Jeeves and Worcester the Woodhouse wrote, but it's still brilliant for what it is. And you don't, you don't mm. have to look into anything more. I don't think. Have you been tempted to read any of the post Woodhouse Jeeves and Worcester novels? Yeah. I have. Um, mm. uh, I read the Sebastian Fawkes one, which I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, and I read the first, uh, is it Ben Stott? Uh, yes. I think it is Ben Stott. And I like I like them. I, 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 the second Ben Stott I had a slight problem with because Bertie was made to be too knowing. Um, he was slightly more in control of his fate and it didn't, it didn't feel quite right. I had so I had a slight problem with that, and also, and this is no, this is you know, this is no criticism at, at all. When you, when you know it's not Woodhouse, you're slightly mm. less forgiving, I think. On, yes, <laughs> I can imagine. Style, you know, yeah. and, and and so you become a harsher critic of it. Um, but I enjoy them. I still, you know, I, I did enjoy them because it's it's that. Like I say, it's it's not so much each in particular story. 
it's the world that Woodhouse created that mm. you that you like to dip in and out of just just to, for a relax sometimes. Yeah, I don't. I, I I've never been tempted to read those, but I guess the Forks one is particularly good. I have to mm. say, it's, okay. It's a, you know, you wouldn't. I mean, he's he's a great author anyway. But you wouldn't. I think if you told me that it wasn't Woodhouse, I'm not sure I would have guessed. I would have. I would have spotted it at all. Really? Um, yeah. I, I think. I think. I think it's that good. You know. But I mean, having you know, having said that, it's still it's still not parody as such. It's still um, what's the word? Pastiche. Pastiche, yeah, and yeah. so it's still, you know, still somebody else's creation, but it's, it, Fox still does an excellent job with it. Mm. There's another one as well, and I haven't got, I'm trying to remember the title of it. I haven't started reading it yet, but I downloaded it the other day um, from Amazon, and it's, it's an updated version of Jeeves, but without Worcester, and he's looking after... Who's he looking after? Oh, no, don't you sign in. He's looking after, a, a, I think, a, an East Coast American who is not necessarily idle rich, but somebody who constantly gets himself into, into slightly more serious trouble by the looks of it, and Jeeves is there to help him out. So that's, that's going to be an interesting one to read. I'm kind of yeah. putting myself off reading it, to be honest <laughs> with you. But... Uh, <laughs> But it's uh, no, I'm, I'm, uh, it's it's an interesting idea, and it's it's certainly got good reviews. But you know whether whether that would, it's difficult to say, isn't it? It's um, yeah, it's, it's it's certainly something that if you were to do, that certainly takes some self confidence to do that. I think. Oh well, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to find the wake up, sir. It's called. It's called wake up, sir, and it's written by Jonathan Ames. So, uh, so, so, yeah, modern day. So uh, I wonder if I can get hold of the synopsis. Presumably, that that must be approved by the estate because it's still within. You would have thought so. Yeah. yeah, you would have thought so. It's, it's a bit uh, of dodgy fan fiction. So. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'll give you a brief. The brief synopsis is Alan Blair, the hero of Wake Up Sir, is a young loony writer with numerous problems of the mental, emotional, sexual, spiritual, and physical variety. He's very good at problems, but luckily for Alan, he has a personal valet named Jeeves, who does his best to sort things out for his troubled master. So it's kind of, I guess it's kind of updating Worcester to 21st century problems. You know, it's um, yeah. he probably has problems with his iPod or something like that, and yeah. Jeeves, Jeeves sorts him out. But it'd be interesting I'll, to read it. I'm tempted to make some gag about it not being PG Woodhouse, but uh, <laughs> 18 Woodhouse or something or whatever <laughs> the rating is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. Be, I'll, I'll let you know how it is anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd be interested to know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, so should we move on to, uh, to to your work? I mean, you are a professional comedian, aren't you? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm showing yeah. my age here, but when I was yeah. growing up, that, that that was barely an option. And it was, only the only, it was only when a couple of professional comedians joined our writers group back in where I used to live in St. Albans, that I realised yeah. it was actually, actually a, a real thing. Yeah, yeah, I've been professional for twenty-five years. Yeah, um, it's it's something that certainly when I started out, it wasn't something that you you necessarily sought to do. It's something you fell into doing. Mm. Um, that's all changed now. It's it's almost like a career option. Um, 
so yeah. seriously i mean there's, there's so much stand-up based comedy on television and panel shows and things like mm. that, that that people see it genuinely as a career progression that they will come and do comedy on stage and then and after six months look around and go well why haven't i got my own tv series yet and mm. uh, they're, they're sort of slightly upset by the whole world of comedy that it's really, it really doesn't happen like that that it is actually schlepping around on the roads and doing yeah. so many different gigs every week that and that's yeah. how you that's how you, you you get your skills you get your expertise from standing in front of audiences you know yeah. it's 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 a great way to make a living but it's it's i'm trying now to sort of come out of it because because the, the travel is just too hard you know, especially, I mean, I live in France, so that, yeah. I've kind of made it more difficult for myself, to be perfectly honest with you. Not everybody's coming from France every week, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's too much. Even when, even when I was uh, living in England and doing it, you were driving 30,000, 40,000 miles a year. And, you know, you can't, I, you, I was in the UK last weekend and it took me longer to drive from London to Leeds than it had to, for me to drive up through France to get to the UK. Um, yeah, I can, I can believe so, that. So uh, I, I don't miss, I don't miss that at all. I, lo lockdown for me was um, an opportunity to sort of reset things, really. And I still do comedy on stage sometimes, but I, I and I've been doing it on Zoom for the last year, and they're quite good fun. They're quite good fun on Zoom, and mm. you know, my my studio is only twenty meters from my house, so the commute yes. is uh, is yeah. far easier and far cheaper, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I guess you don't quite get the feedback from from the audience, though. No, you don't. You don't. You know, you know, it's never going to be that. But then, not all clubs are like that anyway. Uh, some mm. clubs, you know, you have to create your own atmosphere by by poking a, a stick in the wasp's nest, as it were, and that that yeah. can have consequences. Oh, I, I mean, the, the the great clubs like the Comedy Store in, uh, in London, just off Leicester Square. They come yeah. with their own atmosphere, and you ride, you ride it. You can yeah. surf it and, well, I, and orchestrate it to a certain I, extent. I think the last—I I feel really bad saying this—I think the last time I went to a comedy evening, it was actually the comic strip in the early eighties. Wow! Okay. In the Ray, in the Raymond Review Bar. Right. Yeah. Okay. Twentieth uh, Century Coyote, which was yeah. Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson. Yeah. Yeah. Who did this? I think they were the ones who did this. Did the Space Invaders routine, <laughs> which they they would they would end their set with people shouting at them, going "Do Space Invaders!" Right, <laughs> and the pair of them would just stand at the back of the of, of the stage, of the tiny stage, and sort of wave their arms up, going beep 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 beep, move from side to side until <laughs> they got to the front. <laughs> and that, that was that was the Space Invaders sketch. That was uh, it, that, that is so much of its time, isn't it? I mean, you you, yeah. you, show, you, you said to kids now Space Invaders, they wouldn't even know that. I mean, <laughs> just just yeah. it's uh, very much of its time. Yeah. But then it, it, stand up is you know stand up. It, like I said, I've been doing it for twenty five years. Yeah. And, you know, it's changed massively the the things that you. You talk. I don't mean in terms of the PC or anything like that, because the kind of comedy that that myself and ninety nine percent of other so called 
alternative comedians, which mm. which is a nonsense. You know, we've never been racist or homophobic yeah. or anything like that. Anyway, it's that's just common decency. Yeah. Um, but in terms of technology and even just getting to gigs, you know, I've, I did a podcast for a younger comedian the other day and he said, um, he said, how did you get to gigs before, before you had Google Maps? And he, just, <laughs> he didn't just sort of head off like Scott of the Antarctic, hoping that you'd get there. You'd, you'd do some preparation. You'd, you'd look at an atlas, you know, you'd, get, you'd, you'd ring the venue up and ask for directions. It's not really that complicated. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so how how did the, the Follow Valley series come into being? I mean, you've written a couple of memoir style books, haven't you? Yeah, I, I've was, written... was your was your intention to move into fiction? Or was it? Well, it I enjoyed doing the memoir books, but um, they're kind of limited in in so far as you get to the stage where you're trying to create material rather than actually holding a mirror up to what your life is. Because when we first moved to France, I always made it very clear that I would not ever on pain of death, go down the Peter male man in France route. I would never do that. And then after five or six years, I did exactly that because my life was (laughs) so utterly absurd that one day I just wrote down this, this stupid day that I couldn't control in any way. And it, and it all grew out of that. But then moving on to fiction, I, I, I wrote a more serious crime novel, which I enjoyed doing, but which which was more difficult to write because you have to with something like that the 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 research and the police procedure and the legality is one thing, and then you also have to go to places that are slightly darker than I necessarily wanted to go. So this the Follow Valley series actually came about as being a kind of way of looking at France in a comedic way, as I had done with the memoirs, and having the fiction, but without the pressure of having the police procedure on it. Um, mm. So it would be humorous, but there'd also be a good story behind it as well, and it and it grew from there. Uh, yeah. I, and the, the influences for it were. I don't know if you remember a TV series in the 80s called The Biderbeck Affair with um, yep. James Bowlam and Barbara yep. Finn. Wonderful. And, and, not, and, and in a way, nonsense, because um, the plot never really made any sense at all. Mm. And, and that is kind of what I wanted with this, that the, the plots, although they would make sense if you really concentrated on them, they weren't in the first one necessarily the be-all and end-all of the story. It was the characters as well and the way they interacted. And I wanted that kind of sharp dialogue but I also wanted a, a kind of Holmes and Watson thing but where the Holmes element would be a female and the Watson element would be a male so there was lots of different influences that I kind of I just kind of flew through everything at it that I'd ever that I'd ever really enjoyed and hoped that the mix would work I that with the protagonist Richard and ends up being be like yourself so yeah yeah, yeah. So how much is this character based? We're on? not a million miles away, Richard and I. <laughs> we, yeah. yeah, exactly. You see, and and the thing was, when I came up with the idea of having characters, amateur sleuths in the Loire Valley, I, I I was trying to rack my brains about what would be, why would they be involved in these things? What what why would they see so many different people? What what was happening here? And the idea of a B and B is just a natural thing because you everybody it turns over. You know, I, I get 20 different people staying here in any one week. So mm. it's, it's kind of 
a great way to start off a story. And also, to be perfectly honest with you, the running a B&B is it's so tedious that I, <laughs> that I just lay breakfast out and sit at my own table just outside and, it, and I write. And, and it, it may, you know, I'm up early in the morning, I'm writing and it gets me going. I it's, um, it's the setting and the spur, the inspiration, if you will. Yeah. And must, you must provide, I mean, presumably get some characters out of the, the guests as well. The, the you do, actually frighteningly few. People are- Really? Yeah, I, I've, I've always been, I've been, we've only been open three years and I'm slightly disappointed by how few Genuine characters come through the door. <laughs> um, I don't know. If this it's is it's just probably a good thing for the. Well, yeah, I suppose it is. The, the world's become a duller place, um, yeah. so maybe that's why I've thrown myself into fiction that way. I think part, you know, what, not part. But what I, I always thought that once we'd set up the B and B, that I'd get another um, memoir book out of it. But there really isn't that much going on. You know, I'm, mm. I'm by some margin the only character that's in here on a regular <laughs> basis, just stomping around, refusing people the use of the barbecue. And yeah. <laughs> so. the uh, the Thompsons down the road are they? Um... <laughs> Does that sort of thing go on down there? No, I th I no that kind of uh, swinging stuff. No, that's that's really more your door doing. Uh, and we're we're, we're, <laughs> we're we're very much Loire Valley. I wanted with the Thompsons. I I had this idea of the kind of classic seventies sitcom neighbours who mm. constantly walk in the back door and uh, you know are just comic fodder, really, uh, and quite cliched. But the more I wrote them, the more absurd I made them, and the more I liked them. And, mm. and uh, they, they they became so they are fun characters. And the fact that Richard, the main protagonist, can't stand them but almost relies on them as well, I think is 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 quite funny in itself. But yeah, they mm. are. I, I've I've I, like I said, I've grown quite fond of them. I get asked a lot of questions about the Thompsons in exactly the way you just asked about what level of research have I done locally. <laughs> <laughs> None at all. <laughs> Major excuses on the left. Isn't Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and it's it's already been optioned for television. So how, how, how did that come to, to I Just one of these things. I, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it hadn't actually, at the time when I was first approached, I hadn't even been published. A, a guy who I didn't even know I was friends with on Facebook turned out to be the producer of the Agatha Raisin series. Wow. And right. he got in touch and we had mutual friends. And so I sent him a copy uh, and he loved it. And, and, you know, after then negotiating with, with the publisher and so on, that was, um, yeah, just, just one of those things, just pure, pure luck you know and and obviously it'd be great if it comes off but um he seems yeah, to be I mean, very confident yeah so so what happens next with all that they, they, do you get to, i think um sort of... they've paid for an option for uh, i think it's for three years so the next step in that is that they um put together a writing team to knock out a proposal and synopsis and so on and mm. then sort of gently talk about casting and directing and then they go and approach channels and broadcasters and see if they want to get involved financially as well and, and that they kind of build up a team of investors in that way 
Yeah, no, that's do you, that's. Do you, the do you get involved with all that? Any of that I'm, I, I think I, I think in the off? contract I'm under the euphemism consultant, which um, <laughs> which which means I'll be allowed on set one day during shot to yeah. take a selfie and then be asked to politely leave. Probably, I don't know. I don't know what the process is really. I don't want to write the script myself because it's mm. not. You're not tempted. It's not my strength. No, no, it's not my strength. I don't, I don't really want to get involved in that I you know I prefer just to stay here and right now mm. um, I have written TV scripts with, with the memoirs we actually a friend of mine Cueve Cueve McDonald who's a CK McDonald a, a big author now we um, put together a script for a sitcom based on my memoir books mm. and um, it got very good uh, reception but one of the responses we got and I think it was from Sky who said that this is very good, but it's also unrealistic. And you go, well, no, no, that's my life. <laughs> it's, that's, that's not, there's no lack of realism there. That's how my life is. Mm. So I don't know. I don't want to get in, in too involved in the TV mm. side at all. One of the things I'm really pleased with is that it's been, uh, the rights have been bought for the French market. So it's going to be mm. translated into, into yeah. French for the French market. And that means finally my wife's family after all these years can see that I'm not just a layabout and I actually do actually <laughs> work for a living. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a real boost. Yeah, that must be nice, that. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things, it's really interesting because you, you, the way I write uh, and certainly have, have written um, The Follow Valley is that it's because of where it's set, it's quite a visual book anyway. Mm you know, because otherwise you're wasting the scenery, you're wasting the setting. So yeah. that, you know, a lot of people have already said, well, this is a kind of Sunday evening comedy drama. I mean, that, 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 that is part of the thing is that it, it is very much the, the, the setting that... Uh, yeah. That this, it was your first sort of uh, selling point, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the, if you look at like the Morse books, Oxford is almost a character. Yes. Books. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so so central to the way that those stories unfold. Yeah, I mean, it's one it's one of the, it's one of its big selling points, I think, even in this post Brexit era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <that's... laughs> how's, how's that all going for you? <laughs> well, it, it's uh, I, it, look the day the day of the Brexit vote. I was working in London. And sorry, the day after the Brexit vote, and I'd been in London the, the night before, and I turned up to host the European Television Awards in Covent Garden. Mm. And this, so this was, you know, June 24th, 2016. And the stage manager of the awards said to me, um, could, you, could you please not mention what happened? <laughs> Yesterday, <laughs> this is a European awards, and this is the day after the Brexit vote. I, I have to. Yeah, it's, it's my job to mention yeah. this. Yeah. Um, and then I was I was going home that night, and I just I was just thinking about it all, and I and it, obviously I was not for it, and I was thinking about the personalities involved, and I knew it would come down to what it's become, which is just a, a an utter disorganised yeah. catastrophe based on on lies and. And so from that first day, I began the process of becoming French, of, of getting French nationality, because mm. I knew that traveling would be more difficult. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily be in the system over here if I didn't earn money or be French, mm. uh, which was another idea for the B&B in that if I couldn't become French, because I was told I wouldn't get French nationality by a policewoman who interviewed me. She said, you won't get French nationality. 
And I said, well, why not? And she said, well, it's the first time you've applied. Nobody gets anything first time they apply over here. <laughs> so, so that was reason why we set up the B&B is that, that I would mm. be financially in the system. Yeah, you know, you just uh, kind of watching it unfold over the last four or five years has just been disheartening. But because I made the decision early on that I knew what was going to happen, I'm, yeah. I'm not really affected by it. I'm dual nationality. So like I say, when I was when I went to the UK last weekend, I went into the UK on my UK passport and came back into France on my French passport and mm. avoid a lot so of the rubbish that way. So you've actually gone through the the, the Yeah. The, the oh, yeah, I'm I'm yeah. just suis Francaise. Oui, oui, yeah. je suis Francaise. Right. Which is great because because obviously doing stand up in the UK is the, the, the UK has become, I think a slightly angrier place than it ever has been while I've been doing stand-up. Yeah. Um, and I think that the British, the British have always had this wonderful ability to be able to laugh at themselves. And I think Brexit has largely destroyed that because people are so sensitive about the positions that they've taken that they will not have them mocked, which is a very un-British way. That's a really interesting point. I think you're right there. Yeah, you know, it's 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 because, if, uh, for instance, I've done I've done gigs in French and the French don't know how to laugh at themselves. So when I'm doing a gig in English, I could, I take the, the Michael out of the English. And when I'm doing a gig in French, I have to take the Michael out of the French because they won't laugh otherwise. Uh, at the, sorry, out of the English. So it's, it's a really, the UK has lost that ability to laugh at itself, but I have to talk about it because I'm based in France and because nearly all my material is about my bizarre life over here. I have to address Brexit and you can just, feel the tension in the room at times mm. which you have to kind of create to then puncture to try and get people to relax but one of my favorite jokes actually since i became french was i talk about this is genuinely true i, I got french nationality just before the world cup final uh, in 2018 and i say well you know it was a very you know i say i got my nationality french nationality just before the world cup final just before the french won the World Cup final and it was very emotional to me because I never thought I'd ever see my nation win a major footballing tournament and just you either get a big laugh or vitriolic abuse <laughs> in, in equal measure and which makes it a, the, almost the perfect joke for a state. Yeah. <laughs> so what comes next with the writing? There's an I, I see there's another Folly Valley one on the way, Death Valley. Yeah, the second one's finished. Um, finished, okay. Yeah, that's that's finished and it's coming out in February, I think, and that's called Death and Fromage. And I'm working on the third one now, which at the moment is called Death at the Banquet, but may change if I can if I can come up with another French French word for, for food. I don't know what I'm going to put in there yet. My profiteroles may get an outing. I don't know yet, but it's certainly a death at a banquet somewhere. Mm. But death, like I say, death and fromage is all is all finished and and uh, ready to go. Right, yeah, great stuff. And what about your podcast? I, I listened to a few of them. What's, what's... Yeah, the Muscle and Grumble podcast. It yeah. was um, it kind of, it was very interesting that because it was a, it was a it was a, a genuine attempt on my part to to try and be more positive about life. That I think I'd spent. I think I say in the first episode, I spent 25 years as a stand-up looking for the 
the darker edge of what was going, not necessarily the darker edge, but the flip side, the cynical side of the sarcastic side of what was going on in the world and in my life. And, and I think it had affected me uh, and my mental health in, the, in that you, that it then becomes your first port of call for everything that happens. And it's not always a healthy way to look at things. Mm. So it was an attempt to try and see things in a different way. And I've enjoyed doing it, but what I found was that it really chimed with a lot of people. And I got a lot of messages from people saying, well, you know, it's great that, that you're talking about these issues and that you're prepared to put these issues out there and please keep going, uh, which is great, obviously. But then it kind of gave me a level of responsibility that I hadn't expected to, to take on, if you see what I mean. Uh, so I'm re... Uh, I will do it again. I will, you know, I've got to start, I'll probably start in September once I've got it properly into writing this third book. But I have to, I have to be careful with, with how I do it now because I don't want, I don't want it to upset people. I don't want it to be taken the wrong way. I don't want to be necessarily responsible for people's mental health. It's just, uh, you know, just mm. talking about issues that, that we all have, you know. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying not to, initially I was going to do it every fortnight and I realised that I just can't do that level of, well, I was going to say self-reflection. I can't write about it that often because it, because it's too important. If you see what I mean, it sounds mm. like an excuse for just, for just putting, off, <laughs> putting it off for a couple of months, but it's not, there is a, there is a responsibility with it that I need to consider every time I put it out. So it's got to be just right for me to do so. I had such a horrible weekend last weekend that I, there probably will be another another episode very soon. But um, it's, you know, <laughs> that's the way it works. Well, thank you very much for coming along. No, um, thank you. I've enjoyed it. And gentlemen, All right, this place is intended to be free from adverts, as if anyone would pay to advertise here anyway. But if you've enjoyed <laughs> this episode, please feel free to reward us by buying our books. Ian is on Twitter as Monsieur Lemore. And his website is at ianmore.info. I'm on Twitter as John Pinnock, and my website is at jonathanpinnock.com. And do please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people find out about all the fascinating stuff here. You'll find this podcast in all the usual places. Next time, I'll be talking to the writer Imran Ahmed about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, as well as his own work, including the very funny and Oprah Winfrey-endorsed memoir, Unimagined, also known as The Perfect Gentleman. See you then. Since I recorded this one, there have been a couple of exciting new developments. First of all, this podcast now has an official Twitter account at litbutpod. So please do follow that as well for more information about future episodes. If you'd like to get in touch about anything to do with the podcast, DMs are open. Or alternatively, you can drop me a line via the new email account, litbutpod at gmail.com. And that would also be a very good place to send your details if you'd like a free copy of Work in Progress, one of the books that Dan Brotzel was talking about last time. He still has a few available, and I really can't recommend it enough. It's very, very funny indeed. That's all. Over and out. <laughs>